ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our next guest is... Hello and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers and entertainers in the corporate and events world and find out what makes them tick. My name's Michael Pope and I'm here with Carson White from Leading Voice. Carson, who is our next guest? Our next guest spent much of his life in professional AFL football. For 18 years as a player and a high-performance coach, including five years with the State of Origin team, he's a member of the Collingwood Hall of Fame. He's also the author of four books with numerous international reprints and translations, and he recently achieved the 2000 Presentation Milestone. Not surprisingly, he's all about sustainable peak performance, resilience and high-performance teams, and he's created the Everyday Counts and Go Zone programs. What are they, I hear you ask? Well, let's find out as we welcome... Mark McKeon. Carson, Michael, everyone's thinking, how old is this guy? <laughs> 2,000, Brett. Well, that's my first question. I want you to tell me what you took from each and every one of those 2,000. No, my first question is, Mark, are we in the go zone right now? Absolutely. Yeah, the go zone is when you are absolutely focused, you take no prisoners, no distractions, no excuses, and you focus on the important things. And being a guest on your podcast, of course, is a mm. very, very important thing. How, how long must one be in the go zone for? It varies from person to person, but when people are learning to do the go zone, I recommend they try to do it for two hours. Sometimes leaders have to step in and out of the go zone multiple times over the course of the day, but a problem with that is if you don't practice is you end up in the, the slow zone, which is the next one, which is a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of everything. But the go zone is for tasks, and a task is anything that takes you up to one hour. More than that is a project and you break it down. But when you're doing these tasks, a phone call, a spreadsheet, uh, an email, making a decision, doing a one-on-one, you have your absolute focus like an athlete would when they're about to kick a goal or throw a dart or do something to the best of their ability. And unfortunately, a lot of people are so distracted that they've lost the ability to get in the go zone. Where was it in your own career that you kind of came across this idea of a go zone and felt it was that value to then spread the word about? Well, it's interesting when Carson read out my, my bio, my 18 years in the AFL were mostly as a high-performance coach and only a few years as a player. But as a young player, our training was just nothing short of barbaric. It was absolutely barbaric. I spent five years tired. The entire every, every minute I had, I would sleep. I was just so tired. And I endured my short career rather than enjoyed it. And when I became interested in peak performance, it was about, well, there's got to be a better way. In those days, a better way for athletes to train. But over the course of my career, that's morphed into a better way for corporate people to actually organise their lives. And so I call it sustainable peak performance, but it's essentially periods of really high arousal and high focus, coupled with proper, guilt-free, pre-scheduled recovery. So what I'm hearing, you're one of those speakers who has had a life experience that you're then taking to the stage. I never intended to be a speaker. I was in sport and then working in sport and was always interested in helping people with their health and their fitness and so on. But it really morphed from that when I started to get an opportunity to, I suppose, have an influence across a broader spectrum. And then that really morphed into me doing a couple of paid presentations. How did that really, first one go? Well, I was actually used to run corporate health promotion programs, like corporate gyms. Right. And the boss of one of the companies said, we're not getting enough people going to the gym. I'm getting everybody in the room. You've got to talk to them, get them to join the gym. And I actually did that. 
and didn't think much more of it. And I actually was approached by a speakers bureau and said, next time you're doing a talk, let us know. I said, I'm not doing it anymore. That's the, <laughs> that <was> the only <laughs> I hated <one>. it. <laughs> so they, uh, they actually booked me to do a freebie, which was a trial, and I yeah. uh, did that. And the rest just grew from there, and it gradually took over all the other things that I was doing. So uh, and what year was that? That was 1987. Since 1987, the speaking industry obviously has evolved um, dramatically since then. What's the biggest change from a speaking um, industry point of view that you've seen, and then how's that changed your speaking style and the way you interact with your audiences? Uh, quality. You know, the quality of presentations. Back in those days, there used to be a relatively small number of speakers who dominated the market. Mm-hmm. They'd do two a day, they'd do three a day sometimes, and it was a package deal. It was like, here's your solution, now what was your problem again? Right. Yeah, it right. was off the shelf. Off the shelf, yep. exactly. And now there's a myriad of, you know, a lot of people who've either got great life experience or they've developed a technique or a theory that can really help people. And I think, you know, that, that has really... There's a lot out there and it's a more diverse market, but the issue is, you know, to be honest, I think for for clients and customers and associations to be able to really find the right person for whatever their brief might be. Let's stay on this idea of what makes Mark McKeon unique in the speaker's circuit. I've seen you in flight. You get people up and involved, don't you? Yeah, yeah. look, I do. I think, you know, really it's about congruence. It's about honesty. It's about you can't fake sincerity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what it's about. And I, I think one thing I've, I've learned, and because I've done this 2,000 times, I think... What I've learned, to be honest, is to what's going on with the audience, to be audience-centric. When I help people with their presentation skills, I try to help them to be, you know, to really look at what's going on and get engaged with the audience and mm. watch your audience because you've got a, well, it's a privilege to speak. You've got an obligation to serve them in any way you can for the hour or day that you're there. You also bring a lot of comedy into your spot. Well... I hate being in a room when I'm bored or when I'm, you know, I think it doesn't make the training flippant or the, you know, I think it just engages people and mm. it's good fun and I like to have good fun myself and uh, that's just how I am in normal life. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, the, the one thing I've learned over 20 years in the industry is that uh, the best speakers are the most engaging speakers and it doesn't necessarily always have to have the humour element. So what I mean by that is you can actually share a powerful story that has just as much impact as using humour. For mean, sure. Do, do humour obviously is a big part of what you do and I've seen you do it, but you also share powerful stories. Well, I think you've got to go with your natural style. So I'm, I'm a naturally enthusiastic person. I sometimes say that my blood type is B positive and, and I'm just like... I is it normal. or is that just a and lie? You no, know, it actually is. 12, so you were born to do this, Mark. 12% <laughs> of the population are actually B positive. So right. There's an interesting stat we should uh, survey all the speakers and see how many actually B positive yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So you just got to be yourself, maybe amped up by by ten percent. But I actually do say that to people when they want to become a speaker: is don't try to be somebody else. Mm. It's just it's got to be congruent. Some people are storytellers, and some people are powerful. And I'm just uh, enthusiastic. But were you the storyteller at school when you were a young teenager, a young adult? Were you the the guy that people would get around and hey, Mark, t- tell us about? A little bit, yeah, I must admit a little bit. And it's interesting, I've got two sons and both my sons are like that. So I don't know whether it's just, you know, we're lucky to have that gift. But I often would hear people tell stories and the story itself is fantastic, but the delivery was terrible. So yeah. I would retell the story. <laughs> Insert your name here. Insert, yeah, maybe just change one or two of the facts yeah. right. and uh, try to get a better response. So, and that's good, you know, it's good fun. I love nothing more, even it doesn't matter what the forum is, that if you feel like you're connecting with people, not just engaging and amusing people, but if you feel like you're making an impact. And, you know, we all know that 
the greatest compliment is someone says, oh, I just felt like, in order, they'll say later, I just felt like you were talking to me there. I felt like you were yeah. talking to me. Yeah, that one-on-one. So, on one. so just on that, I mean, your keynote's finished and the audience leaves the room. What is it? What are you actually wanting that audience member to do when they've actually left the room after hearing you speak? To take guilt-free recovery because the whole go zone thing is the go zone's for focus and for action, the slow zone is for cruise and the no zone's are for recovery. And nine out of every ten corporate people I meet are under the pump. They work much harder than they used to. They're compromising some element of their life, and they don't. They don't get the recovery. Have you noticed over your decades of presenting that your audiences are more tense, more hardworking, more? I need to put in the hours because Johnny over there is. Absolutely, I often say if you went back ten years, you could, most people could take a deck chair to work and spend an hour <laughs> reading the paper. Because is, is that wrong? A deck chair to work. Yeah, I've done that. Is that wrong? Well, I haven't taken a deck chair, a hammock. You just, I'm more a hammock person. You, no. you live in the you, trees. You, you, you leave them there. You don't take them, you leave them there. Yeah, no. You've seen that change. Absolutely seen that change. And, and a lot of people suffer from adrenal fatigue and burnout, but just lack of performance and just not enjoy, they're enduring rather than enjoying, which was what I used to do way back in my footy days. Yeah. So where you've taken us now is into that area of work-life balance, and, and it connects with one of your four books. We've spoken about get in the go zone, but work a little less, live a little more, uh, and the other two being Everyday Counts and Mark McKeon's Life Tips. To me, you seem someone who's very much focused about, you know, we're here once, let's get it right. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's a really good summary because all my writing has been about those things. It's well-being, it's, it's that sustainable peak performance. So work-life balance, yeah, but sometimes people have a slightly wrong idea because they think it means going home at 3 o'clock and then lighting incense and never having your phone mm-hmm. on. But the reality for most people in life now, it means to be more, more congruent, more real than that. And that's why I really use those strategies. So even we were laughing before about I've counted how many presentations I've done. I'm all about structure. I structure my go zones two weeks ahead, my no zones, getting the car in for a surface. I mean, everything is pre-planned because if I don't, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Exactly right. Uh, I was just thinking as uh, Michael was summing up all of the books you've written, the mindfulness topic has come up in the last two or three years in wider community, but certainly in speaking circles. In many ways, you were probably one of the first mindfulness-type speakers before the word actually became a buzzword. I mean, what are your thoughts on mindfulness and, and, what, and how it links back to what you do? Yeah, look, a good question. I think it's fantastic, but since it's become a buzzword, people have sort of taken it in the wrong context and it's become a lot more, more formal. Mindfulness is just really, you know, being able to just take away all of those things that are competing for your attention and either think about one thing, which is a go zone by the way, or to think about nothing. And sometimes we've overcomplicated it and people feel like they have to listen to an app or do a program. Mindfulness can be just going out your back deck, sitting down and just doing nothing or listening to sounds or having a chat to you, you know, to anyone. That's that's what mindfulness is. It's not that complex. Let's think of your books again. Not every speaker has uh, has the ability to leave behind a, a book or, you know, flog it in the foyer at lunchtime or something. What advantage do you think it is that Mark McKeon has four books and, and a CD, audio CD as well? Look, it is nice. We were asked before about what you want people to do when you leave. Mm. I love them to take a book. Obviously, there's the commercial element, but it's a way of them touching you again. You've hopefully made an impact when you've been there for an hour or whatever the keynote is, but then if they have the book, they can actually relive the message. And when you've heard someone speak and then read what they've written, it's almost like reliving that again. So for me, it's a much better chance to have uh, impact, to have lasting impact, 
from a credibility point of view, to be honest, I think it really helps because if people feel like you know they're, they're listening to someone who's had some life experience in this and has been published in this, then um, it maybe helps you, but it only gets you the first five minutes after that. It's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Fair enough. So I look at your website. You've got four keynote areas up there, but from my experience, largely um, there's always one keynote that uh, you do more than others. Is that the case for you, and, and what keynote would that be? Yeah, that is the go zone. I do do a keynote on change because, as we are talking before, so many people are busier now and coping with change is a really important thing. And I also do some work in high-performance teams and I have a keynote about that because I guess my background, my days in the footy, which was involved in the team-building element, the motivational elements as well. But um, probably probably two out of every three note, uh, keynotes would be uh, the go zone because it tends to have quite universal appeal because mm. it applies to all industries. Absolutely, and any walk of life. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. at home and yeah. often you go to uh, conferences where people's partners will come along and they tend to get some value out of it as well. Your website is very thorough, com, and on it there's this quote, who do you look for first when you see a group photo? Yourself. But why are you drawing attention to that? That's um, related to my work on high-performance teams and that's about self-interest. Everybody has self-interest and that's reflected by how you look yourself look for yourself in a photo or if you're in a dangerous situation you're probably going to look after your own well-being first and sometimes corporates don't understand they expect a high level of engagement and they even expect more they expect total commitment from people now and it sometimes just doesn't doesn't um, take notice of the fact that people might have a family that they need to get home to get the kids fed that they don't necessarily have a financial interest in the profit of the company mm. and they have this natural self-interest and when you recognize that and you understand that then you can try to turn that self-interest into discretionary effort and discretionary effort is where high performance teams are really based is it about getting everyone on board but through the different avenues that mean something to them exactly yeah, yeah. great yeah it's about finding what those avenues are and then making sure that leaders are spending time with those people to get that level of you know motivation I don't shy away from saying that word which then creates the engagement and the people tend to benefit from that because they'll share in the rewards of the company the day goes quicker mm. their career often grows because of that but Sometimes there's a disconnect between what people are expecting in regard to the way people operate in the team and what's actually happening. Mm. Mark, in the last couple of minutes, let's talk logistics. Your rider, uh, did I read somewhere you need a rub down before and after your presentation? <laughs> That's right. Because of the whole football and, thing. Yeah, and a llama in my room. <laughs> a llama. Does the llama need a rub down? No, the llama's okay. The llama's oh, cool. okay. And a bowl of M&M's. That's right. Yeah. No, but, but seriously, you strike me as someone who's, who's very um, low maintenance. You turn up, you do your thing and you go. Is it, is it as simple as that? Yeah, that's, I often joke about how I, I want a llama because people say, don't you, know, don't you need anything? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, nah, not really. It's, you know, I... I suppose it's a cliche, but you see what you get. And I think, to be honest, that's why I've had a you know a good career because I'm no different than I am in, in life, but yeah. just ramped up a bit. And um, minimum of fuss is the way to go. Your book for your keynote, you talk to the client. In that briefing process with the client, what are you trying to get out of the client in order to shape your presentation to meet what they want? The, the question I always ask is if you had a magic wand and... It could go as well as you could hope and it would even exceed expectations. What's the three things that would happen? Great. So I ask them that question. Great. And very often they can't answer it straight away. Yeah. And I say, don't have to answer that now, but let's talk again. Because, as you know, if you try to emphasise everything, you emphasise nothing and have a scattergun approach. And I don't want to have a, a, a keynote where people go away and think, oh, that was, that was fun, but 
nothing that meant nothing to me. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So you work with the client to construct and yeah. morph your presentation into what they want. That's right. And sometimes they just need a little bit of help in really clarifying what it is that they need or they've got competing priorities. And when that's the case, I encourage them to pick a couple, not to pick all of them. Mm. And from there, the, the actual execution tends to drop out of that pretty pretty clearly. It, was there a gig that you've done in those 2000 that you really remember for good or bad reasons? No names, but uh, is there one that stands out? Um, I did, actually was fortunate enough to do one in New York at the Waldorf uh, Astoria, and I followed uh, Frank Abignall, who yes. is the Catch Me If You Can guy, the yes. real guy. Oh, right, great. Uh, best presenter I've ever heard, and he just had the audience spellbound. Yeah. And so I came on after him, and I got a standing ovation on the back of his, his performance. But, uh, oh, the power of the warm-up. That's right, the power of the warm-up, <laughs> yeah. No, but the, 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 the American audiences are super enthusiastic. Right. They want you to succeed. They're hooting and hollering. They're agreeing. Um, so that was that was a very memorable one. Yeah, just go back to that speaker who you saw. What was he doing that was so cut through? It was quite um, quite different. Frank Abignall, dressed in a suit, stood right behind the microphone. His delivery was just um, so congruent, so powerful, and he had a fantastic message at the end of his presentation, which brought it all brought it all together. And by the way, which was about the value of family, which he didn't have as a kid. Mm. Uh, and he just learnt how important that was, and he'd been through the mill and then had come to the realisation of just how important family was. Yeah. You said he had a great story, and so do you, Mark. Thank you so much for your time today. Frank Abagnale and yourself have both had an experience and you've learnt the lessons from it, and you working at the elite level of such a demanding environment, AFL football, but you've taken from that great messages that you can then pass on to all of us from no matter what walk of life we're in, and you do it with fun, exuberance, energy, clearly enthusiasm, and may you do it for another 2000. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Carson. And if you want to find out more about Mark McKeon or to booking for your next event, go to www.markmckeon.com. You've been listening to Our Next Guest Is, brought to you by Carson White from Leading Voice and MC Michael Pope. You can hear all our guests on iTunes or simply visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break. Let's take a break.